At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. This podcast is brought to you in part by Sovereign Sportsman Solutions. As conservation officers, we know just how important technology is in this day and age. S3 is a cutting-edge and trusted vendor that provides state agencies with licensing, mobile, CRM, marketing, law enforcement, and event management solutions all in one place. They are dedicated to benefiting the resource, so check out the link in the show notes to sign up for their newsletter and get the industry insights, news, and content that can keep you up to date on the tech that helps drive conservation into the future. A Game Warden's children's book, titled A Cowboy in the Woods, is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood. While trying to solve a neighborhood mystery, what he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, 
to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join HuntOfALifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit HuntOfALifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 71, Jeff Bale, Interview Interrogation, Part 2. And I hope you guys wet your whistle on Part 1 to get a feel for Interview and Interrogation. Very important. Um, certainly, uh, Jeff gives us some skill sets that are just, uh, it's great to, to hear. It's great, great for you guys to hear, even if you're not in law enforcement, because it's a communication skills. Empathy is, is a huge thing, to feel empathy for people. Uh, and that's part of search and rescue. I certainly, uh, when I'm dealing with the families, I felt empathy for them, real empathy. And even, you know, when you bring that into it, being human, I think, helps in the interview and interrogation part to being able to read people. John, I mean, certainly game wardens start to read people. That's a skill set that is priceless when it comes to doing the job as a game warden, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's our bread and butter. I mentioned on the on the on the first episode with Jeff, um, and set, such a such a uh, a great story. The difference between a great game warden and an exceptionally great game warden is interview and interrogation skills, and being in that upper one percent of being able to read the vibe of the person you're dealing with, suspect or witness, and adjust your style to be like you said, empathetic. Uh, be direct when you need to be, and more importantly, um, be able to fill and flow and be patient. And um, which I don't have. I know from my, I know, <laughs> yeah, right. And we all know you and I both early in our careers were so gung ho that uh, are we patient. Do we listen long enough? Do we take the long enough pause? We don't. No. We learn the hard way. We got beat several times and lost cases because of it. But uh, this is something that should happen in the academy, and it doesn't happen in all all academies. Um, we have a basic. Uh, class like this in the California Fish and Wildlife Officers Academy, thankfully, but it's it's a basic starting class, mm-hmm. and it's something you can continue to tune up on your whole career, either through learning around you and through your personal experiences on investigations, or continuing to go to refresher classes. And this uh, and Jeff's stories just drive it home because he's an exceptional interviewer, and it it comes out in the great casework he did throughout his career and continues to do. So um, this is a good one and critical mm-hmm. and exciting because some of the stories that come out in these interviews. 
how you get people to crack and the other stuff you didn't know that you find out through a good interview is mind blowing. So great one. You guys will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. And remember to tell your friends about the Warden's Watch podcast. Uh, Like minds think alike. If you like Warden's Watch, please share. And then don't forget to give us a a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on because that helps other people you don't know say, hey, this is a really good podcast. So again, Warden's Watch episode 71. And I think every case you did in your state, that just all I can see is just big buck, big buck, big buck, big buck. You know, stacking them up, big cases, because uh, <laughs> well, your state is known is for it, that. But... And, and just for everybody that, that sees this on Patreon, you you, you got to see uh, Jeff's background. He has a virtual background, and I keep looking at. It, I'm like, boy, there's got to be some big deer in that field. That's uh, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous view. Uh, good representation of uh, yeah, some dynamic there, habitat. I just pulled the cameras from that. <laughs> they're they're all still alive i tell you that <laughs> awesome <laughs> just gorgeous gorgeous but there's gorgeous. a you know there's a lot of deer case i had deer cases but it, this stuff is just so it, it just spills into every walk of a, a mm. warden's life I, I handled 20 i think 20 fatal boat accidents in my career here wow and the the skill the skill set is incredible how it goes back and forth and back it, it, it's the same right you know it, it really is same you know i play guitar you know a little guitar that, that's it and mm-hmm. how many notes can you get out of that how many how many permutations of a chord can you get there's no end there's no end to it you just mm. keep on doing and changing things around and changing things around i think that's that's one of the main things i like the the kids to get out of the classes and even and even the the uh the experienced officer is that there's just no end to it Mm-hmm. Just stick the stuff you're doing right is uh, now is correct. Just try to stick some new stuff in there, change, change around different, create new pathways. Mm-hmm. I mean, they actually say that if you, if you start using your, if you're right hand and you start using your left hand and left hand for a while from time to time, pretty soon you created a new pathway and that becomes a lot easier if you just keep doing that. Yeah. That, that's a, that's, that skill set. I didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen, Wayne, that I would mm. be really, really, start to get real good in all aspects of it, no matter what the situation was, even talking to a defense attorney, right. you know, being, being cryptic with him, be the same thing as being cryptic with a, with a frog hunter, Absolutely. you know, and, uh, or somebody in the state park that, that beat up somebody or a uh, knifing or something like that. It's, it's all, it's all there. It, it's mm-hmm. just, and I really, again, I'll come back to that. It was so nice of, the, of uh, our chiefs to give us that money and let us develop that program and train everybody and that led to me meeting other people uh, other other researchers reading other research mm-hmm. other departments hearing about me i would go there i would get information from them they would they would say can you develop this and it just kept going and it's still going it's right. still going nice can you give us your best interview and interrogation case, a case you broke uh, <laughs> that's your best one or are they all up there pretty good cuz every time you make one it's a great one <laughs> well, I tell you, well, you know, it could be a, they're all, they're all victories. Mm, I you know, would agree. Just, just, you know, I, I realized that, that my, uh, um, rate, my compliance rate to get somebody to blow into the breathalyzer increased dramatically mm. after I got a handle on my communication skills, you know, because right. it, it, 
they they ha- they have to consent to it, you know. And uh, what skyrocketed? Um, probably it was a really really good one. Do you know what rotenone is? You ever heard of that chemical? Yeah, yeah, it uh, kills it, fish. Well, yeah. it it kills ev- it kills everything. Okay, so they they <laughs> used to reclaim ponds with rotenone. Right. Well, mm. a couple of guys got a hold of some of this stuff at one of our state parks, and they took it to uh, one of the rivers. And they poured it in. They poured it in the river and th- on three different occasions. Ugh. It takes and the, the oxygen third, out of the water. The, the, it takes it, all it the does, oxygen it, out of the but water. You can, but you can still eat the fish. Okay. Even but. though at the time EPA said you can't eat it, so they were they poured it mm. in there for for a catfish. So they would they would pour it in. It would kill everything, and then they would scoop up the catfish. Well, they did this three times, and we had two suspects. One was a cop. Uh, not retired, just a former cop. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> on the third time, a kid on an ATV spooked them. And they had their catfish, and they threw the catfish. And get this, I got to the scene. I go, you know what? That almost looks like a fingerprint. So I took that catfish to the crime lab, and they got a partial fingerprint off a of catfish. Oh, my goodness. And so uh, you know, it wasn't usable, but but nobody's going to know that, right? Right. And that's gonna, that's uh, that's going to turn into your that's going to turn into your face if I have to use it that way in, a, in an interrogation. So so I, I I figured out who to, who to interview first. Knocked on the guy's door, and I told him I said we're here uh, about the catfish, and he's he's got the door open and he's looking at me and he's not closing the door. And I teach in my classes about nodding like this. See how you, you nod your head right. like that? That actually creates people. It's, it's absolutely uncontrollable. You can get someone to tell you something by going like that. Mm. And, and, and so I'm, I said, I said uh, I'm getting the idea. I don't know what his name was, John or Tom or something. I said, I'm getting the idea that you guys were selling th- this stuff. And I'm really, really upset over that. But somebody said that you're not. And I'm playing this back and forth. And I said, "Could it would it be okay if I came in and talked to you about it?" Mm-hmm. And he let me in, and it, and I had him in three minutes. So when I interviewed the other person, and then 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 uh, uh, he confessed to that. We went to a park office, and he confessed to the two other ones. This is a co-defendant. So then I went to the other guy's house. The cop, nothing. He didn't he didn't want to talk at all. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, when I was interviewing, he faked having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. He grabbed his chest. And he says, and I'm having a heart. So I had to call the ambulance and I had to go to the emergency room with him. And it was all a rouge and everything. Of course, he had to pay for all that. And in, in the in the end, that, that was an absolutely unsolvable case. That's the best case. They killed 24,000 fish with, with, those chem, with those chemicals. And it was the first uh, case, last case that I know of, unless somebody else did, to, to uh uh, get a conviction for criminal damage to state-supported property because the fish are obviously owned by the, the state of Illinois. Mm. You know, they pay they paid I don't know twelve thousand dollars each. I don't know if, the, if they ever collected on that, but that that I like to tell that case because it was totally unsolvable without somebody with, with without confession. Right. Period. Yeah. P- period. It's a huge it's a huge case. Uh, the, the fish biologist was involved. In that he, he he actually counted every single one of those fish with with a counter. Wow. He's walking you know, a bull. I think they kill five or six hundred bull bullfrogs. Huh. Um, that was a really cool wildlife case. Uh, had a bad boat accident one time where a kid went over the back of a boat, <clears throat> and he was drinking at the time. 
And I had to make an OUI case after the fact. So two days later, he came in for an interview and I'm talking to him. I went through a whole bunch of questions, built a lot of rapport with him. And in the middle, in the middle of the interrogation, I asked him, which, which really was a turning point because it, it was kind of a tricky question. I said, do you think that you were highly intoxicated, moderately or slightly intoxicated at the time of the accident? And I'm looking right at him with, with my raising my eyebrows and staring at him. And he, he's, he said moderately. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I go, okay, well that, that'll work right there. You know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he really didn't even know what he, what he said. So that was a really bad boating accident. I mean, some, some, uh, the lady lost her, uh, the driver lost her teeth, lacerated liver. I think it was, this is a bad accident again. And that person, confessed that uh, later on that they were drunk at the time of the accident. That's nice to be able to present that to the state's attorney's office. Right. Say, here's what happened. Here's what happened. And uh, so there's just that. Yeah, there's that. But some of the, some of the recent ones are, are great by the officers. Several years ago, a couple of officers up around Chicago called me. They say, we got the case of a lifetime going right now. So they came down to the house and I looked at it. They said the only, it was a beautiful case. They had all kinds of, of great information, but the guy had to say, I shot it here. So what it was, was that, uh, if I can remember this, right. I think this, uh, it's called, um, uh, I forgot the guy's last name, but it was a 36 point, 36 point deer. It ended up on the cover of North, of North American whitetail magazine. Wow. So he gave this whole story of how he killed this. Every single thing in that story was true except venue on where he killed it. Mm. And I think he said he killed it maybe 20 or 25 miles away from where he actually did. So what he actually did was kill the deer in a, some sort of a refuge or a, a, a hunting without permission. Mm-hmm. Other guys around this place where you couldn't hunt, they were all hunting this deer and there was a picture of it. Mm. And, and um, when, when they saw, I, when they saw the picture on North American whitetail, I guess uh, they go, "Ah, oh, that's the deer that lives here. You know, he doesn't live 20 miles away. Wow. So they went to his house and we went through the whole thing. We, we practiced interrogation in my, in my kitchen for four hours. Nice. I would play the suspect and they would, they would uh, uh, interrogate me and I would have them interrogate each other. They were really, really skilled interrogators, really skilled. And when they, when they finally caught, went to the guy, they knocked on his door, they went around his uh, room and they talked to him about his other deer. And then they finally moved him outside and they, they told him in some form or fashion that, that his deer was not uh, legal. See, he had to stick with the story, right? Because it's in North American whitetail. Mm. There's nothing he can do. He's, he's stuck to the exact same story, right. which, is, which, which was great leverage. And they got him to confess, which led to... Who, I don't know how many states that went to. So that I think that deer and that deer was seized. Uh, it... Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. I think the vehicle might have been seized as well. That was a really cool case to be involved in. Yeah. <clears throat> and then one last one off that one of the same uh, I, I just uh, got a comment on those officers that was that was a great idea to come use you and sharpen your skills before you went into that situation because you, you you know you want it so bad 
uh, like you said, a case of a lifetime, and they say, geez, we're going to go see Jeff Bale, sharpen our skill set, and then we are going to be honed and ready uh, to go into that interview and, and, and to pull this off and, and the success. So, um, you know, great that you were able to but, do yeah, that and, for and, them. Yeah, sure. And, and ultimately, it was their, their way of communicating information, you know, but mm-hmm. there was probably something in that four hours of training that, that popped out during their interview. You oh, know, just that, sharpening that, up. That it's, been there. Yeah. It just, right. <laughs> I mean, they, they had a cell phone ping. I, I mean, they, they knew exactly. They had the guy. They had mm. him. But he, he had to say, I, I, I lied here. This is the real truth. And then another one, uh, it, was, it was late. I think it was later on that year that he had somebody work for one of these big uh, uh, companies, these real estate uh, hunting companies. And he had killed a, an, an illegal deer up in uh, up in the Chicago area, and he was heading to inter- interview this guy. And he had said, and this was a, a num- number one traditional bow kill in Illinois. Another record, obviously. The information was that he di- he didn't do it the way he said in, in the papers and, and the whole thing. So he went up there, and at the same time, so we 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 worked through that at the same time that our officer is interrogating him. Michigan officers are interrogating, I think, his brother at the same time because because this spilled over mm. into a whole uh, like a, a two years worth of deer that they've been coming to Illinois to kill illegally. And this one particular bow, uh, this one particular deer, it's just just huge. You know, it's never it's never a forkhorn, is it? It's it's, it's always it's always a monster that's involved here. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I remember, this one he was heading up there to actually go poach deer on forest park property and he at the hotel that he was staying in he noticed this monster deer behind the hotel hmm. so him and his cameraman stuck that that uh bow up his pant leg and went out and, and they had a crotch stand and they stuck it up in a tree and they killed that thing hmm. and then they turned it into this traditional so it was all illegal and so the officers the investigators traced it all the way back just fantastic information to all these deer that they kill over the years, and and uh, half of them were up in Michigan. Wow! So at the same time, interrogating the the suspect here, they're interrogating the exact uh, their brother up there, <clears throat> and they had the interrogations going on 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 both ends. I think they seized over fifty deer, Wayne, in that case there. Wow! And th- and that and uh, obviously that's how it works, you know. Mm-hmm. So I tell I tell the young kids, I said, I know you're going to be making some really cool cases off social media. It's going to be easy. It's just like watching somebody shoot something and you're right there. Mm-hmm. There's an untagged there. There's whatever you're going to get. a good Say, but what about the other ones that they did for the last three years? That's mm-hmm. where your interviewing and interrogation skills are going to come in and yes. communication skills. How are you going to make those huge, huge cases out of out of one one fish, mm-hmm. one fish, you know, how? how I, you know, I want you to be able to go into the uh, freezer. Just a quick story. I was uh, had a deer case one time, and I'm, I'm working this the scene at three o'clock in the morning, and here comes a, a car that was next, just driving next to it, and so we stopped them, and they were uh, coon hunting. They didn't have any coons, but they were training their dogs out of season, and and, th- and I got the idea that they had been doing this before. So when they left the sea, I, I called an officer, got him up out of bed across the uh, the river. He was waiting for them when they got home. That officer got a consent to search and took 25 illegal raccoons out of their freezer. Wow. Because, and it all, 
so it, it all stemmed because the body language was bad or something in the middle of the night. I was working at yep. your case. This was just another serendipity right. type thing. It's a, so yeah, it, it's a, it's fun. It's a, talking like this. And even when I'm, when I'm uh, teaching makes me really want to go back to work. Yeah. You get all fired up. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> I, 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 w- I wish I could. I wish I could. Yeah. That's that, that was, that's too long ago though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and as you talk, it just keeps reminding me, you know, I worked with a colonel. We were uh, patrol partners side by each, and he he came up with a case, great interviewer, like 13 deer out of one case, and, you know, over the course of that three Man. years. Yeah, yeah, and never we never had a body of a deer. We did search warrants and everything, but we got conf- he got confessions from these people, and I just blew my mind how many confessions and how many details they knew and could come up with. And there's another one, there's another one there. And that, which led them every time he interviewed someone, led them to another person, led them to another person. And he was just relentless. I used to, and I'll, I'll say this on the podcast. I used to name him the beagle. Cause when he got that scent, he wouldn't let it go. I remember doing cases. We do cases right till the next day. Yeah, That would be knocking on doors at midnight, you know, doing interviews because of that first 48 he really believed in that first 48 if we had something hot we had to jump on it first 48 that's when most of the cases are solved the first 48 hours and we were we were on it and working hard and getting everything all the answers that we could for that so and then we became very good working together so we'd interview and i would stop and take a breath and he would start in and the same thing and your brain's always working as you know you're you're double teaming I i loved working as a team because as soon as it was time for him, I already had questions built up in my mind. Like you said, you, you, that, that, that interviewing, the length of time, uh, sometimes it's the difference too. It just breaks it up and, and gets you thinking about their answers when you're engaged in that conversation. Yeah, it, 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 it's, uh, you got you got to be quick quick on the, you know, on, on the fly that just mm. to, to be able to change on, on the spot. Because they usually interrogations, you know, they go sideways in ten seconds, mm. and there's some they're going off one way, and you're all prepared for something else and that right. type of thing. And uh, it really, it really is like when someone tells tells you or tell tells the officer that what they did three weeks ago illegal. I, I mean, it's it's just it's just yeah. crazy. it's like he was sitting right there, yeah, right there. One, one of my one of my uh, a good friend of mine, Andrew Kyle, who's an Iowa officer. I think he's been through my class five or six times. He's a, he's an excellent officer. So he called me. I think it was last year, and he's on a traffic stop with with deer cases. And I told you earlier that I became uh, sensitized to this body language. Mm. You know how how people are. You know, I, and I learned that body language. If body language changes, that means that they were were in one emotion here, and now they're in a different emotional state here. And then you're supposed to ask your question why. Why are they? Why were they in this emotional state, and now they changed to this one? And he picked this up during this interview. He said, "There's something wrong here, and I can't figure it out." And I think he stayed there 30 minutes trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that he that it was uh, an illegal deer that this guy had killed over salt, a big deer, as I as I recall. That's what he was worried that Andrew was going to ask questions about. That's where the negative body language was coming mm-hmm. from on that traffic stop. Yeah, and he was able to pick. He was able to pick up on the fly and solve a case. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a, there's nothing like solving a case made out of nothing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like Seinfeld, a, a TV show, you know, a, a show about nothing. <laughs> a show about nothing. And th- th- those those are the, those are the 
the, the great ones that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that totally unsolvable. I, I try to teach in my classes, all these different cases, they're actually solvable. I have to do it is a knock on the door and have mm-hmm. enough guts, uh, uh, and, and, and the drive to say, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can't solve this case. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it, that's, that's what got me going. Even if it was, even if it was, if it was bad, uh, and when you make your first case it, out of nothing other than an interview, boy, uh, that just fires you up to, to continue on, Jeff, doesn't it? To the next one, to the next it, one, to the next one. It, it does. The, the ultimate one that, that I remember was, was a, uh, this is just a crazy case that I was just driving around. I see this guy shooting uh, pigeons. So I, I, I go up and talk to him. In Illinois, you got to have a firearms owner's identification card. So I'm just chit-chatting with him. I didn't really care too much about that. I just want to see what's going on. And, and he said that he was, he was here. He says to me, I was here last week. And when he said I was here last week, he reaches up and he touches his nose. And I go, well, what the heck was that all about? See, see, he's the one that he said, I was here last week and touches his nose. So that, so he was in one emotional state and he will goes to a different one. I'm trying I go, okay, I didn't ask the question. He just caused that. So I said, uh, on the fly, I go, yeah, I know. And he goes, I said, that's why I'm here today. And he, then he starts falling apart, Wayne, mm. non-verbally. He starts falling apart. And I'm talking to him and talking about finally, <laughs> he, he finally admits, he, he says, he goes, well, he goes, I, 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 sh- I shot one. I go, okay, tell me about it. He says, well, it was just, it was just swimming by. I, I shot one. And I, I have no idea what he's talking about. He just said I shot one, and I didn't. I, of course, I can't ask him because now, now the jig's up. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And I said, I, I said, do you have it? He goes, I, ha- I still have it. It's at home in the freezer. <laughs> and I said, I said, how long would it take you to show that to me? He says, not too long. I said, can we go look at it? So I'm driving to his house, and I pull in the driveway, and I'm going into his house, and I'm going to search for something. I don't know what I'm looking for, but he's, he's. And he goes downstairs, and I remember how dark it was down there. I go, man, this is a little freaky. And he's going over to this freezer, and, and he's going to open the freezer. I have no idea what's in there. Mm. And he opens the freezer, and he's got in a plastic bag a muskrat. And he, had, he has shot a muskrat swimming by. Because when he said it was swimming by, well, that could have been a duck or fish or anything. So yeah. this kid, this kid, because he touched his nose, because he touched his nose, and I was able to see that because I had sensitized myself to all these nuances through John Milner and teaching and all these great instructors. I was able to see that and just a little push, just a not, it wasn't accusatory. He goes, that's why I'm here. Mm. And then he started falling apart. That's just crazy. And I remember thinking, driving away, I said, this, this is, that was really good. <laughs> that, yeah. that, was, that was, you know, a $75 fine, right? Oh man, I love it. I love it. I was on patrol once and I, I, uh, the week before, and this is like, like you said, a week before I'm watching these guys fish. Well, a guy and a girl, a blonde girl and a guy fishing, uh, on a pond and they're, they're too far away. I'm in the cruiser. I can't, I'm not going to be able to check them the next week. Same time Saturday. Uh, I check there's a blonde, there's a blonde and a guy fishing on the same boat and they're near the docks. Now they're near a dock. So I swing down, I get out on the end of the dock and call them in. Hey, I'm like, check your fishing license. And, 
<laughs> she doesn't have a fishing license. So I start to write her and I said, you know, I could write you for last week too, because I'm <clears> sure you didn't have a fishing license last week when you were fishing too. And the, like you said, the, the whole demeanor changes. And I could remember this is drastic and his demeanor changes and hers. And she looks at him and she starts saying, who the blankety blank did you have on this boat last week? And uh, yeah, it, w- it went downhill really bad from there. I still wrote the ticket, but I, I got out of there as quick as I could because he was going to get, uh, yeah. So it was a pretty interesting, but that was a dramatic change in body. You know, when I said I could write you for last week, you know, when you were fishing here last week. So, because you didn't have a license and I'm assuming, and just the whole shock <laughs> on both of their faces. <laughs> well, I, I know that's, that's I, I know that's pretty good. Because oh. they, they, they don't know a, a person can only control their body language for a very small amount of time mm. before something something reveals it, and that's the trick behind this. Uh, that that's that's how I was taught to teach myself is how to just be so sensitized to these little nuances of movement. Mm. I mean, every warden, every warden that drives down the road, they can see a, a, a vehicle that's back in the timber a half mile away. Right. And they only saw it for, for two seconds. It's, it's there. It's because mm. you, you've trained it. When right. I was a city police officer, instead of getting out and, and making sure all the doors were closed, I could shine the, the spotlight from the squad car and I could see the reflection back from the deadbolt that's thrown through. I didn't have to get that out little, huh. just a little trick there. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so it, everybody can learn this. Mm-hmm. It, it, every, everybody, <clears throat> I had a bald Eagle that was shot back in 1985 and it was just a dead Eagle. That's it. Uh, immature bald Eagle and zero evidence. Um, and uh, Jerry Summers, who was a, uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife agent. He lived right here. He's the pilot. So at the same time, there was a homicide in Peoria, and I saw what they did. A week later to the day when the body was found, all day long, the, the police department set up a roadblock, and they interviewed everybody that went by during this time frame. I go, mm-hmm. that, I'm going to try to do that. So I got permission from uh, my, my boss and, and, uh, and others. So Jerry and I set up a roadblock not really rope. We just stopped everybody on this road for all day long. And what I was doing was I was testing the body language. Who's different than, than, uh, than the last one. Mm-hmm. And it was towards the end of the day. And uh, some, somebody came up and I, we told him what was going on. And I'm interviewing the guy and his passenger was looking at me and his body language is uh, he's flunking. So I turned my questioning to him and then he really started to flunk. I go, there he is. This, this guy at the minimum fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At the minimum, it's bothered by the questions about the eagle. Okay, that's right. a, that's how you have to look at it. At the minimum, <clears throat> where it seemed like the rest of them were not bothered like that. So I got his name, and sure enough, it came in. This guy was, uh, he had guilty knowledge. His brother-in-law had shot it. That, that's what the information. And that's the uncomfortableness so, of it. <laughs> This was all this all because his body he, he flunked the body language test because I would mm-hmm. ask certain questions 
and see and look at the reactions compared to the other 50 people I talked to in the last six hours. Mm. And I go, there's something wrong here. And, uh, oh. you know, I went to his house and I, and I read him his rights. I probably didn't have to, but I did. He wouldn't talk to me. Mm. And there, I, and I never did solve that case. Mm. Still there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a case. That's a, that's a uh, game warden wants to solve all ball legal cases. <laughs> it's no the, like the ultimate. I, I yeah, had one so, very similar, Jeff, that the, it wasn't solved. It did same things, never developed a suspect. So, but yeah, like I said, the, the cases that stick with me are the ones I didn't solve. Right, right. But I certainly learned from that, mm. you know, from, from the body language. I go, well, this, this structured approach here, right. is this, rather than random gut, gut way of interviewing people, just throwing yeah. out questions without watching. Being now, now let me ask you, because I always found this, reading them their rights has a tendency to shut them down. So I always made sure that when I did an interview, it was, you know, so they wouldn't think it was an interrogation to a point where the rights were kicking in. As a matter of fact, when I had somebody in the cruiser, I would tell them, I don't want to talk to you, which, as you can imagine, just made them mad and they would talk more. So and I would regurgitate several times through the courts that I don't want to talk to you. Let me say this. (laughs) Yeah, I I was, uh, uh, John, uh, he taught me how, how... his phrase when he was a, a detective before he became police chief, uh, he, he taught me, I, I, I can't discuss the evidence with you unless I read you this, ah. which was a slick way of doing it. You know, I, I, uh, M- Miranda obviously is, is, is pretty easy. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as it's, it's just custody and, and questioning, that's all it amounts to. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, but you don't have to do it, you know, unless they change it this morning. You don't have to do that if, if the guy leaves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's what I used to do is call him in for an interview, get a confession, and then and uh, write him a ticket a week later. Yeah, absolutely. And that way you wouldn't have to worry about it. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah, and um, if I can tell you one more about yeah. this, uh, the nuances. We used to have a, che- a deer check stations, which actually I started with a – I was on a, the internal advisory board and we got together and we got deer checks, <clears throat> deer check stations in Illinois, where once you, when you shot it, you had to show the government to kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. So at, at the, uh, in addition, one of the state parks also had to have uh, you had to log in, log out. So I picked up the sheet of paper. There was like seven or eight names on there. And on the sheet of paper where people, they check in and they check out, there was a little spot of blood. And nobody on that sheet showed that they had killed a deer. Hmm. So I, so I started with the top. I knew, I knew all these hunters and I went to the top. And as I recall, it was towards the bottom and I was running body language and visual polygraphs with these, these people who's, you know, and I was pretty much say, you know, I'm, I'm here about uh, your deer hunting today at, at the park. Well, if, if you're factually innocent and there's nothing going on, you shouldn't have anything. Well, one of them, he, he reached up, touched his nose, backed up and went like this, puts puts his arm like this. I go, that's him. Mm. That's him right there. And and I let him go. I took to the whole thing, asked him to come outside. And I said, where's the deer at? And he goes, OK, I'll show you. <laughs> so he had shot a deer. Mm. He didn't clean his hands off right, did he, Wayne? He no. he, he, he he didn't have he, he dropped that little piece of blood on on that, and that told me somebody on that sheet probably had killed a deer. 
So I'm going to run some polygraphs on these guys as I talk to them. And I tell you what, it, it, it really, it really works. Yeah. You, you, and you can, and you can do it subtly where you're not accusing people. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not saying how many, how many more ducks do you have in the, in the blind right, right now? It's not, it's not as in face as that. It's just a total talking. And, um, and I had a, you ever heard of Columbo? Yeah. The I TV watched Columbo? Columbo quite a bit. Yeah. He had a good demeanor oh, yeah. about him. He does. I had a Columbo style. I didn't know I had that style, but, but eventually I decided that that's my style is, is kind of a buffoon. And, uh, you know, of course at the end, of, at, at the end of the show, he says, Oh, by the way, you know, and that's, that's mm-hmm. because he hasn't revealed anything at the front of the show. Right. That's, that's kind of how I, I started doing things after I got a handle on this, you know, mm-hmm. three or four years, five years into my career. I said, this is a lot better, more structure to this. And it's, it's just there. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, you, you know, you're a deer hunter. You have structure to your deer hunting. You mm-hmm. know what you're going to do. I have structure to my deer hunting. That's, that's what I put into this system here. And it's, it's never gone away. It's, it's, just, it's just there. Um, uh, years ago, I joined a deer butchering club because I really didn't hunt when I, was, when I was working. And I'm just shooting the breeze with everybody in the, in the butchering club. And, and, I, and one of the guys says, he goes, you know, you ask questions a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know. He says, I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> and I go, ah, oh, that's probably some of my training that's coming through here. I said, I'm not trying to interrogate you. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so it was kind of cool though, that he picked that up. Yeah. It, it was some, I don't, I can't even, I can't even put my finger on how I was doing it, but that's probably not a good thing. Is it? Mm. No, probably <laughs> that, not with that, your friends. <laughs> No, no, that's a good thing. So that we had a good laugh uh, over that. So uh, I'm sure your wife's but, used to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She goes, quit using that crap on me. No, no. Well, I I really appreciate you spending some time uh, the the Warden's Watch podcast, Jeff, and uh, you know Jeff Belly from Illinois and uh, Bailey's and Associates is your business, and you do training for everybody on interview and interrogations, correct? Yeah, it's uh the the business is uh. Uh, forensic interviewing and interrogation techniques for conservation officers. I okay. teach uh, three or four different curriculums. I teach all the way from three days to five five days. Recruit classes. Uh, people that go through my classes are eligible to uh, enroll in the master class in conservation interrogation. Nice. And that's a very small class, thirteen people. Uh, it's one-on-one training for two days. All we do is practice how to interrogate, review nice. uh, confession research, lots of videotapes. It's pretty intense. Uh, mm. That's it, it. Really, it really is. A, I'm exhausted at the end of that those two days. That's the class, Wayne, that I never had when I was working. Right. I always wanted someone to actually critique me, a trained instructor. So I built that into my system. And I've been teaching that. I used to teach the uh, police officers for the uh, mobile training units here in Illinois. I had a two-day interrogation class that I did for them. So the idea behind that is that, okay, it's kind of like, you know, we maybe go to the classroom for for firearms training, and then you go out to the range and and learn how to shoot. Well, that's what the the master class is all about, is is that... Okay, I'll send you out for a year or so or whatever, and then you come back, and now we're actually, we're actually going to shoot. We're actually going to practice interrogating. And like I said earlier, uh, the, the big, 
two, two things that show up in that masterclass is that the officers typically run out of things to say, which is, is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. You got to keep on going. And the second is, is eye contact. I'm always saying, look at me, look at me, look mm-hmm. at me, put your eyes up, put your eyes up, keep looking at me, keep looking at me, keep looking, right. just constant barrage of them because it's so important. Mm-hmm. The, uh, when we interview somebody, we don't want to really stare at them. You know, that that's intimidating, isn't it? To have somebody actually stare at you right. uh, in the inter- interview. That's all different during an interrogation. In, during an interrogation, you you are staring at them and you make them dip their high, their eyes below horizon, not your eyes. And that helps when they, when they want to uh, surrender and give you the secret. So uh, those are the two classes that, that I that I teach now. I also teach school administrators. And uh, it's a one-day class. <laughs> I started that in 2011. Nice. Uh, I didn't know you know this, but uh, uh, kids lie to their teachers. No uh, way. I never did. So no. I'm not where that came from. So all my, my family are all educators, and they kind of say, why don't you see <laughs> if you can uh, retool this for, uh, for us? So I did. And uh, I tell you what, that is, they are so much fun, Yeah. these teachers, because they do not get any kind of body language training at, 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 no. whatsoever. But they're, they're totally like kindergartners with their wide eyes and, and they're totally sucking up all this information. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to have them email me with a case that they uh, <laughs> that that a, a case that they made, you know, somebody setting off the fire extinguisher or something like this, you know, yeah. okay, it's the same. Right. Yeah, it's the same thing. Absolutely. And um, so so that's re- that's really fun to teach them. My first class, I had 40 in the class. And I wasn't used to this, Wayne. I wasn't used to a, a room full of uh, suits and jewelry. Mm. That That's not typically in police training. You don't have that. Uh, a lot of camouflage, you know, and shorts and stuff. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, but I was really, I go, boy, this is, I'm really, I was really nervous. I uh-huh. really was. But once I realized, you know what, the reason that they're here is because they want to learn. They, they haven't seen any of this. And um Great evaluations. It's it's a it's a different prong, and I learn things from from the school administrators that I'll dip into uh, uh, the master class and, and the recruit training and that type nice. of thing. And so uh, that's uh, um, and then I, I developed another one just for teachers reading faces, just for teachers. Huh. So so the teachers will come in reading faces. You know, that's a six or seven hour class. Uh, so it's it's a it's a it's a lot of fun. I really do like yeah. the recruit classes. On the long, the long classes, we have volunteers come in and they tell stories that are all true or all false mm-hmm. for two days, especially wow. on a forty-hour class. And they will, they will, uh, someone will come in. Uh, uh, one scenario I really like to have uh, is that one of these two people had their appendix removed. Which one had their repent, uh, had an emergency appendectomy? And one of them is telling the truth. So what, before the person that had the surgery tells the other person all about it just like with a wooden mirror out there, you know, this is what you need to tell the warden. Mm-hmm. And it is so much fun to watch them and, and they have to grade people and everything. After two days of realizing just how hard it is, because mm-hmm. these are really low stake lies. There's nothing, they're yeah. not going to lose anything by lying. And uh, that, that's a lot of fun. And uh, that's something that I, that I, I developed with, with, I had a two day lie detection class that I taught for the uh, police officers at college campuses. And uh, I would have drama students come in, sociology kids come in, psych kids come in and tell stories and, uh, <laughs> and all true or all false. They had to figure it out. So I dumped it into the longer programs. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, so so th- that's what I that's what I do now. 
Uh, they do tell me, though, that I will not be able to teach uh, from the nursing home, so they're going to have to get a hold of me here soon. Here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate it. You know, you've taught from Alaska to Florida and had a lot of influence and uh, still do. So I'm, I'm very happy that you joined us and share some of those stories with us, Jeff. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. I appreciate yeah. it. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.